Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson, the talk show that makes the connections between research, policies, and practitioners that are too often missing from the American education system. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Good day, listeners. Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson. I am your host, Jonathan Jefferson. You can learn more about me at my show page on TalkZone.com. Today's topic is Children International, Educating Girls Living in Poverty. I have been a sponsor for Children International for over a decade. I began sponsoring a child, my first child, Emma, when she was 12. I had the good fortune of meeting her in Santiago, Dominican Republic, when she was 16. She aged out of sponsorship at the age of 19, but I trust she is striving towards success in whatever she has chosen to do. My current sponsored child is also a girl in the Dominican Republic, and someday soon I hope to visit her as well. The work of Children International is real and impactful. My guests today are working in the field worldwide to positively change the cycle of poverty. My first guest, Kathy Phelps, is the Director of Programs for Children International, supporting Children International's health, education, and youth development programs in Africa, Asia, Latin America, and the United States. She has also worked as an advocate for adolescent reproductive health issues in Washington, D.C., and she provided technical support for food security programs for people living with HIV AIDS in Uganda. Kathy, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Hey, I'm so happy you're able to make it. Before we start talking about educating girls living in poverty, tell us about the gender gap. Sure. So when we're talking about the gender gap, it's really looking at inequalities um, between boys and girls. Um, We're seeing this across the board in many areas. In education, 33 uh, million fewer girls than boys are attending primary school. When we move on to secondary school, there's an even bigger gap where fewer girls are completing their secondary education. You can see it when you look at our health in the area of health as well, where girls um, have certain um, morbidities or they're suffering from certain illnesses more frequently than boys. They're affected more by certain reproductive health issues, both from a biological as well as a cultural, um, for biological and cultural reasons. Okay. So why is it so important then, especially with girls living in poverty, to make sure they get educated? Sure. Well, we know there's there's several things that we know at this point. We know that the longer a girl stays in school, um, she's going to make more money. We know that the longer a girl stays in school, she's going to have fewer children. Uh, We know that she's going to be um, less likely to contract HIV. And we know that she's less likely to be a victim of violence. Obviously, all of these are things that we hope and wish for every girl around the world. And we know that education is a critical piece of making sure that happens. Okay. Now, how does Children International help girls get an education and break the cycle of poverty? What exactly uh, do you do? How do you meet the girls? You know, how do you get choose the villages? You know, how do you choose the schools? You know, give us some some details on how you actually make that happen. Sure. So Children International works in um, really three core sectors. Um, We work in health, education, um, and youth development programs. So we work on a continuum from age 2 to 19 years of age. Um, And the the core of where we're implementing those things are coming from um, 
community centers. These are locations, they're state-of-the-art um, infrastructure that's placed in an impoverished community. So we select our communities by going out and surveying um, and looking at the different communities that are out there. Um, Children International works through um, all in-country local nationals. So all of our professional staff are from that country. Um, they have all of the information and expertise on um, the pockets of poverty, even if there are great inequities so, um, in terms of income. So in a country where um, there, there can be a very wealthy population, there's, of course, always a, a poor population as well. And so we look to target those communities that have the fewest resources. And that's where our community center comes in and provides those resources. So, again, um, we are providing them in terms of health with um, medical and dental services, um, reproductive health education. We're talking about alcohol and substance abuse. Uh, we look at education where we provide, um, we provide support to families to reduce the economic barriers to education. We offer tutoring programs at our community centers. We also have computer centers, and libraries. Um, and then one of our, our coolest pieces, because it's led really by the kids, um, is in our youth development programs, where we are we have several different programs um, where youth um, learn the resiliency skills, uh, where, where they can learn to make decisions, and we actually let them make decisions in these programs. Uh, we link them up with adult mentors, both volunteers and RCI staff, um, and they're implementing projects. They are becoming leaders. They are learning health education and then going and sharing it with other youth. Um, they, are, they are advocating for um, opening bank accounts um, mm. and doing all sorts of different activities. And, it's, and the great part is, again, it's all located in their community. So we're bringing some infrastructure, but then it's really the community members and really youth-driven in order to make the resources and the cohesion um, possible in that community. Great. And as a sponsor, one of the things I enjoy is receiving the, the regular communications, uh, in particular your your uh, mm-hmm. journey journeys uh, journal that comes out, I think, every season. Mm-hmm. And uh, recently I was reading through the journal, and one of the articles I read was Closing the Gender Gap. And what struck me is that, the first article or that particular article was talking about a place that I had been because you, uh, Children International is all over the planet. So okay. the chances of, um, you happen to speak on a topic or on an area that I'm familiar with actually took me aback. Uh, back in 1995, I visited, uh, Chimaltenango in okay. Guatemala. I don't know if okay. I'm pronouncing it correctly, but I went there to learn for Spanish immersion. And and while there, uh, we went into the rural areas. I, I don't know if you call them farm communities. I mean, the, everyone there is barefoot. They're they're you know they're they're farming and doing everything with you know um, what we would call outdated implements. And you know, we did take time to go out there and to uh, volunteer time with the kids and to you know you know play relay games and no, nothing substantial. But it was a you know for a young man because 1995 was some time ago. It was a very impactful. Um, experience for me. So I was curious now, how long has Children International been in Guatemala, in particular that part of Guatemala? Sure. Well, um, and I can't speak towards um, that particular area, but we have um, been in Guatemala since 1979. Um, So it's actually one of our, um, the countries where we've been the longest. Um, And 
Um, so today, um, I'm excited to say that in Chamaltenango, um, in that area, we have um, nearly 9,000 children and youth um, that are participating in our programs. Um, across the country, we have far, far, a far greater number, um, closer to 30,000 kids participating in our programs. Um, so, and, and there are several countries where we've been, um, you know, in the country working um, alongside the community for that length of time. Wow, that's extraordinary! Extraordinary number, also, and I think I think it's it's so it's so beneficial that the the people you have working with the community are from the community, mm-hmm. um, because otherwise there's so many fears and stereotypes. I mean, I went I went to Guatemala at a time where it was still quite dangerous. I mean, they were they were still coming out of the period of time where over a hundred thousand people had disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were some areas that were just not recommended for uh, Americans to visit because because of uh, I shouldn't say strange beliefs, but they had beliefs, and and in some places they still do that. You know, well, Americans are there to you know steal our children to use their organs. I mean, just mm-hmm. you know th- things as as bizarre. I shouldn't say bizarre, uh, but things like that um, were really believed. So I think it does take locals approaching. Um, their, you know, uh, country mates to say, hey, we have these programs and what have you, because if it's a foreigners doing it, it can be some suspicion. Mm-hmm. Um, now you've been in, you've, you've been to quite a few places. Can you name some of the different places where you've been on the ground working? Sure. Well, um, so I, I did start out, uh, working in, in Africa, in Sub-Saharan Africa, in, um, in Uganda. Um, now, of course, Children International works in 13 different countries. Um, at present, um, and I have now visited, I guess, with CI all of them at some point, mm. um, working directly with the staff, although I have to say, you know, um, because we really do believe in the um, in working with in-country local nationals because of their expertise um, and really the important um, way in which um, they know how to integrate and work with local governments. They know how to work with the national government. Um, and there's a sense of, there's a sense of pride. So, um, you know, oftentimes we do a lot of phone conversations and, um, emails, um, and things like that. But, um, yeah, I've been, been to, um, all of our field sites, um, and kind of seen the, the differences culturally, um, depending on, um, the context there. Okay. Now, do you have a site in Haiti as well? Uh, no, we don't at present. Um, just in the Dominican Republic, though, I will say that we do work in communities where there is, um, uh, there are significant populations uh, of people that have come from Haiti, um, currently living in the Dominican Republic. Um, sometimes those are undocumented um, individuals, so we are working mm-hmm. with among, again, among the most marginalized populations um, in the countries where we are working. Okay. I, I mentioned Haiti because I have a friend who um, has been fortunate in his in his life, and he has turned that fortune to help a community, a remote community in Haiti, um, through a nonprofit he started called Haiti Community Support. And one of the things he warned volunteers from, because he would find volunteers from the United States who had particular expertise, whether it was bringing, you know, piping in water or whatever the case might be. And he warned them uh, against the the desire to give everything you have as far as food and and what, you know whatever's on your person. You see somebody who's in need, you want to just give it to them. But he had to always warn the volunteers that if you were to do that, you would be creating a more of an issue. Um, are those some of the things challenges that you have 
experience or, or things that you have to tell people who might be coming from outside to be wary of because they want, you know, the, the, the immediate thought when you see a starving child is to hand them the, your food. Uh, and, and in fact, that might create other issues because it's so hard to get the food to where you are. <laughs> you know, now you may also end up in, in jeopardy. Have you, are challenges like that common or did I stump you? No, no, absolutely. Well, and, and I have to say that that's a big part of, I think, the role of Children International and um, us as an organization is that we are linking um, our sponsors who really care and want to give to that individual child, and they want to have that connection. But at the same time, the, the risks that are involved is, first of all, it can be awkward. You know, when someone's asking you for money, and let's say, you know, it's somebody who maybe you just lost your job and you're just not able to give at that point in time. Um, something like that, that can be an awkward situation. Um, at the same time, maybe that there's such a great need that it's not something that you can fulfill that need entirely. What we, um, so Children International really works to foster that uh, relationship between the child and the child's family and the sponsor um, without having um, that, they're not having the direct conversation, so it's a facilitated conversation with Children International. Um, at the same time, um, we also look at system strengthening. Um, it's very important that um, when we're giving and supporting a child that we're really supporting their community. So when we're talking about a five-year-old, um, it's really important that we're empowering their mother. Um, so that would be a great place um, and time where, where through Children International, for example, if um, there's a donation to Children International, um, we can use that to empower not just one mom but many moms um, through our volunteer programs so that they can help their own kids, they can help the community, they can help their kids' kids in the future down the road. And that's really important to us. Excellent, excellent. And um, I, I travel a lot. I try to at least. I'm certainly not yeah. as nearly as much as, as you have. But I was in Panama a couple of years ago, and, and I love Panama. I've been there a couple of times, and I always tend to go to the more remote areas. I'm not a touristy, you know, go to the beach, mm-hmm. lay on a beach. That's not. I don't. I don't feel like I learn much from that. Um, so I, I tend to, uh, you know, go to more remote areas. So I was in in Boquete, Panama, a couple of times, and that's in the uh, volcano region. That's like the coffee growing region. And you have some very, obviously there's poor everywhere, but you have people who work on a coffee plantations who are really struggling. And it surprised me when I saw a, a family, uh, it was, you know, mom and dad and, you know, maybe three kids. And they actually sent one of their little ones, maybe six or seven years old to me to beg. Mm-hmm. And I was a little bit taken aback by that because I, 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 you know, I have my assumptions and stereotypes. I mean, we learn as we <laughs> travel and grow. But I was, it just took me aback because I, I thought even in the, in the most dire circumstances, there's a sense of pride, like, you, you know, certain things you do and certain things you don't do. But here, there was no, and it was no, you know, fear or, or concern or anything. They just pretty much sent their kid and say, well, there's, an, a, there's a, a foreigner. They didn't know where I came from, but, you know, yeah. go ask for money. Right. Yeah. And so uh, go ahead. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's one of the things about poverty, you know, um, when you're in the, in a situation like that where it could really be life or death, um, you will go to um, very extreme lengths to, to um, try and, and, you know, make the pieces fit together and make it work. Um, and that's where I think it's important to work with families. Um, and I think that's where education really comes in so much because um, we can educate children so that as they grow, um, they can build the resili- 
resilience so that they're not placed, they are themselves not placed in, in vulnerable situations because that situation where a child has to go out and beg can be vulnerable and, and not only awkward to the individual that they're coming to, but then um, for them, you know, if let's say that you weren't um, a, a good person, um, you know, that, that exposes those children um, for exploitation, um, child labor, um, you know, sexual abuse, um, physical abuse, all of those things. Um, and, and clearly no parent wants that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and no child wants to be put in that situation. So if we can build resilience in the community with the children, with the families, um, and really with the social structures, then that's where, and, and I think education really is a critical, critical piece from the research that we've seen. Um, that is really important in doing that. Um, and if we can do that, then we can really change generations. So it's then um, once that child has those social skills and they have, um, well, or they have the resilience factors, um, they have the education, they are healthy, then they can prevent and, and they don't need to go beg. Then they know how to start a microenterprise. They mm-hmm. know how to open a bank account, and even if it's five cents a day, they're saving that money, then then they can go and do that. Um, excellent. And, and that's really important. Okay, this is excellent information. At this time, we need to take a short break, but stay tuned. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome back to Educate on Talk Zone. Here's Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show and our discussion with our guest, Kathy Phelps from Children International regarding educating girls living in poverty. If you'd like to join our conversation, the phone lines are open 888-463-6748. That's 888-463-6748. We're taking your calls on TalkZone. Uh, so Kathy, mm-hmm. um, as a sponsor, you know, how exactly does, uh, the support I send, you know, allow my child to remain in school? Sure. So, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, Children International really works in, in the three different areas, health, education, and building self-reliance. Um, so re- very directly, um, the money that sponsors send in goes towards um, reducing the economic barriers to education for um, pri- for early childhood development programs, primary education, secondary education, and even um, tertiary and uh, vocational, um, so vocational training or university education for those children that have um, been able to continue all the way through. I'm I'm curious because in in one of the I don't know which article I read but I you know I read quite a bit but in one of the uh stories I read a uh gentleman um I guess his wife left him and he's um from Honduras so he's it's he very uh machismo traditional and he pulled his 6-year-old daughter out of school mm-hmm. so that she can tend to the home mm-hmm. so that's so in that scenario I was wondering how might the sponsorship allow her to stay in school? Is is like domestic domestic help provided for? I mean, how how exactly does would that work in that in that particular circumstance? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, the the context and the reasons why children aren't in school can vary depending on family, and even more so, you know, between the different countries where we work. Um, but in that in that type of a situation, for example, um, our field staff again. Um, um, it, it is actually a combination of our field staff and also community volunteers. So those are 
volunteer moms and dads that are actually within the community themselves that are just interested in improving their own community. So um, between the staff and these volunteers, we are in contact with all of the families that are in our program. So we would know that that girl had not um, is out of school um, and they would be considered at risk. So what we do is we actually will go, we have field officers that go and they will meet with family members. You know, at age six, that's such a critical age for them to be in school. And mm-hmm. while, you know, again, individuals, when you're, when you're living in poverty, it may in the short term be economically more advantageous to have the child stay home and take care of the home or, or go and work with the family. Um, but in the long term, the family is really going to be benefited by um, sending their child to school. And for all the reasons we talked about earlier of, you know, a girl that is more educated is going to make more money. They're going to have fewer children. They're less likely to um, contract HIV, all of that. So, so our field staff would go out and they will work with that family. Um, and really working with the parents is an essential component of everything that we do because they're the gatekeepers for the children, especially at a younger age, though it really does continue all through adolescence. Um, from mm-hmm. what we've seen, we have to work directly with parents. Um, we have to make sure that they are aware of the long-term benefits of their kids being in school. We can also make them aware of all the resources that are out there to support them. A lot of times, Governments will have additional programs that can help the individuals and the populations that we're working with. So we link our families to other services, even beyond that, which uh, Children International can provide. Now, it, it sounds like the staff that you have are highly trained social workers. It sounds like they do the exact mm-hmm. same work that social workers here do um, with children who are in state custody or who, who need additional oversight. So what educational background or how do you find your staff and, and, and what type of training do they have? Sure. Well, it, you know, it, it does depend. Um, our field officers, um, by and large, do have social work degrees. So um, they would have um, completed a university education. Um, in social work. Um, many of them have worked in the field for many years. Um, our management teams have significant experience with development work in the countries where they work, sometimes in other countries as well. Um, and they've been working with children, with youth, with adults. Um, we, we, and again, we have experts in the areas of health, in education, and in youth development um, that are all contributing towards um, and, and we have those staff in country. Um, in addition to that, we have our regional and headquarters office, which provide additional technical support to ensure that international best practices from the World Health Organization, the United Nations, um, that those best practices, you know, things like the um, UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, we ensure that um, those values and those rights are clearly um, represented um, and reflected in all of the programs that we implement. And our staff are well-trained. Um, they go through child protection training on an annual basis, um, various other trainings throughout the year um, to make sure that we're offering the services um, the, best, the best quality support that we can to the communities where we're working. Wow. Now, I know the, the individuals who are out uh, trying to get sponsors for these children don't necessarily have the the time, for example, when I became a sponsor, I was I was walking somewhere near um, Columbia University in Manhattan. I had just finished, you know, teaching a course or giving a presentation, and it was raining. 
and mm-hmm. you, you had these uh, a couple of people out with umbrellas and raincoats with Children International on it saying, you know, would you like to sponsor a child? No, you know how bustling New York City is. All you want to do is get into the subway and jump on your train. <laughs> but I just, for some, I don't know why, I just stopped. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I looked at one of the pictures they were showing. I said, well, these children look quite healthy. And um, she she laughed because she said they, that's not that's not uncommon that people say that, but they say that the photographers are actually very good and they, and they try to you know photograph the children in the best possible light. Um, so that we end up striking out striking up a conversation. And, and long story yeah. short, um, one of the best things I ever did was was, was sponsor. Um, she was only 12 at the time. I believe she's 24 now. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, it's just it was, it's been a while, but it was it was uh. So, so I, I can't even tell people how I, I try to tell people how how uh, how much it impacts you because they see so many, not so many. There are, there are a few like Children International that are well known, you know. Yet there are people who think, well, does the money really go there? And you know, is it really going to that child? Is that a real child? And and I just tell them, I said, look, I visited my child, and that pretty much mm-hmm. ends the conversation. And I show them pictures. You know, I say I was at the field headquarters, and here she is when she was sixteen, and there's the the college. You know, rain jacket I gave her. It doesn't get too cold down in Santiago, so I couldn't give her anything more than a, you know, a jacket. But, you know, I think and, and that made it, that makes it real for people when, when they can see mm-hmm. that, you know, your money truly is going there. And, and if I can sponsor several more children, I will. I mean, I was happy they gave me another child right away, but you're still sad because you're like, well, how, how's it, how does she turn out? You know, right. <laughs> you know, you know, so it's the hardest part is, this, is the separation. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I, I actually got off off topic a little bit. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but we were talking about uh, how the the um, how well trained your staff is. But I'm also curious in some places, um, Catholicism is the biggest uh, religion and there are Catholic schools. And mm-hmm. I know some Catholic schools are tuition driven. Is that the case with any of the children that you place in schools or some of the schools tuition driven? Well, um, you know, we work with a variety of different schools. It is up to the family to determine um, where they send their child. Um, and we, you know, clearly with the individuals that we're working with, um, private private schooling is often difficult to access. However, in some places, um, private schools are not, um, they're not, they're not that much more expensive than some of the additional fees. Now, um, that they would, that a, Family would have to pay in a in a public school. Now, um, in many of the countries where we work, um, there is um, free primary education. Um, however, there are still um, the hidden costs of transportation to school. Um, a lot of times, there's activity fees and school supply fees, um, textbooks they have to pay for, all of those things. And unfortunately, those continue to be barriers. So. Um, you know, even if it's not just the tuition, um, there are those other barriers, and we would work with um, a variety of schools depending on where the family um, would like to send their child, though clearly we would um, also um, look at and educate the families on the options that are available. Um, mm-hmm. I would say even in India, for example, one of the great things that we're looking into there are there are schools, there are private schools, um, but they often have a quota, um, a number of um, individuals from um, the lowest quintile of the population or the lowest income um, group, and, and our children clearly fall into that category. So our, our staff go out and they will create partnerships with these schools to say, 
we can find the kids. And sometimes it's difficult for the schools because that's not their, their, their primary focus is not on finding low-income children to enroll in, mm-hmm. in their private school. So we, we try and make it easy for them and say, hey, we've got a whole bunch. We would love to enroll these kids in your school because they offer good quality. Um, this, the public schools are already overcrowded. Um, so we, we try and look at different alternatives um, depending on what's out there. Excellent, excellent. And and uh, I think you're fortunate that you're in a, a position that you're you're giving so much because every ripple you know has that you know effect uh, across yeah. the ocean, and and you're, and you're having many ripples. Uh, we have been speaking with Kathy Phelps, director of programs for Children International. You can follow Children International on Twitter at children underscore intl. That's children underscore intl to follow them on Twitter. Kathy, thanks so much for joining us. All right. Thanks for having me and thanks for being a sponsor. Hey, no problem. Stay tuned because our next guest is also having an impact with Children International.